Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Now, there's a lot going on in this short little verse, and some of you will recognize this verse rather readily. And so as we have been in this worship series about practical Jesus, those things that Jesus says that don't require any kind of seminary education and theology or scripture and those things that are not so convoluted that we have to unpack them for hours and hours on end, but the things that Jesus says that are applicable right here and right now and very easy to grasp. That's what we've been focusing on. And today, what we're focusing on is what some may remember as the golden rule, right? You might remember that. You do to others as you want them to do to you. Golden rule. And generally in the church, we don't spend a lot of time preaching on this because it seems self-explanatory. And then so many people have known it. I mean, it's called the golden rule. That's not part of what's in scripture. That's a cultural part that has been added to it. And so Jesus gives us this idea, this concept, this truth, and says to us that you should do to others as you want them to do to you. And I thought, well, what do I need to preach on that for? And then I had a conversation with my nine-year-old. And I went to pick him up one day, and as I was picking up and he got into the car, he was rather bristly. And I said, what's wrong with you? And he said, well, my friend was being a jerk. I said, oh, really? Yes, he said. And I said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I was a jerk right back. I was like, no, time out. That is not what we're supposed to do. He said, yes, it is. Jesus says, you do to others as they do to you. <laughs> not exactly correct. And that's why the, the form of the Bible you read is very important. <laughs> very important. And so I told him, no, 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 no that's, that, okay, that's not what it says. Jesus actually says that you should do to others as you want them to do to you. So if your friend was being mean to you and you don't want him to be mean to you, then you should be nice to him. You should be kind. You should be gracious. You should show him how he should behave by treating him the way you want him to treat you, even when he's not being nice to you. I said, do you think you could do that? He says, yeah, I can do that. I said, I don't know that he can do that, but I can do that. And that's really the point that Jesus is making, that we have to set a very high standard. In the United Methodist Church, we believe this. In fact, part of the ordination vow for all clergy who are fully ordained, either elders like myself or deacons, is that we swear, we covenant, we vow to uphold the highest standards of Christian living. And that's not because we think we are more capable than anyone else of doing it. Trust me, that's a really high mountain to climb but because we do believe that we should constantly be striving and aspiring for this so that other people can see it and go, you know what? Maybe it is possible. Maybe I too can do that. Now, all of us who are clergy are very aware that we are no greater than anybody else. We are not perfect. We are not sinless. We are as flawed and mortal and as inclined to sin as anyone else. But it also is an opportunity for us that even while we're trying to set the high standard by carrying that of Christian living, we recognize that when we fall short, when we fail, when we make mistakes and when we sin, that we should be the very first to model asking for forgiveness and seeking to be reconciled with those that we have hurt or with whom we disagree. Amen. 
And so that is where this kind of comes from. This concept is actually embedded in the scripture that we read today. And every little piece of the scripture that you've heard all during the worship service thus far, from our gathering liturgy in Matthew 22 to our first reading in Matthew 5 and then the reading that I just did with you from Matthew 7, Jesus is driving home the same point. That everything, whether we're talking about the greatest commandments, to love God and love others, or whether we're talking about what is the standard by which we ourselves as believers should be setting, all of this, if you were to ask for the Cliff Notes version of the entire scripture, Jesus says it is this, to do unto others as you want them to do to you. That you should, if you want God to love you and bless you, then you should love God and bless the name of God. If you want others to treat you well and to be kind and caring people, embodied in acts of kindness and compassion, then you must model that for them. You must be kind and compassionate. You must show them what love looks like. You must model for them grace and forgiveness if you expect others to give it to you. All of the prophets, all of the law, all 613 commandments boil down to this that we are called to be a people who recognize what we want and we show it to the world. Not demanding it of other people while not giving them a taste, a glimpse, an encounter. We are to be the ones that recognize what God has done for us and we show it to other people. Not, look how awesome God is and loves me, but let me show you what it is like to have the maker, creator, redeemer, and sustainer of the entire world love you and take care of you. Let me show you what that looks like. And it's a high task. It's a heavy mantle to bear. And we strive for this. This is something in the church that we have to constantly and continually work toward. And unfortunately, this is also one of the places where our faith meets the road. This is one of those places where we have to learn the theology that Jesus is talking about and apply it to our lives. Because I listen to people a lot on, on the things that they see in the world that they don't like, the things that they wish could be changed or transformed, the things that really kind of manifest human sinfulness that cause us suffering and sorrow. You know, sometimes when you just look at the news and you're like, this just is heartbreaking. It's so sad. And one of the things that I constantly hear, and I think we're going to be hearing more as we continue on to 2020, is about politics. I hear people saying to me all the time, you know, it's really upsetting to me that we can't get a good candidate. And they'll, they'll even go far enough to say, I recognize that what we do to candidates in our political system is abominable. It's really hard when you look at how they take a fine-tooth comb and go through everything you have ever said and done, and every mistake you've ever made gets plastered for the entire nation, if not the world, to see. And that's intimidating, and it's heartbreaking. And then people will say, but that's part of the job. That's part of the job. And so if you want to do that, then that's what you have to endure. And the thing that I think about to myself is, well, but if we wouldn't want somebody to do that to us, then why do we do it to another person? Because it's actually antithetical to our theology and what we believe. We believe that either by the baptism of our repentance for sin or by the presence of the Holy Spirit at work through our prayers for repentance, that we are truly forgiven. There is no caveat, there is no footnote, there is no end note or asterisk that says anything different. Your sins are forgiven, period. And if that is true for us, then don't we have to model that for other people? That we recognize that all of us have a past, 
All of us have done things that we are not okay with, that, that are embarrassing and shameful, that humiliate us and our loved ones. And yet God, in infinite knowledge and power, looks upon those things and says, I forgive you. It is gone. You can lay them upon my altar and walk away because my grace, my forgiveness, my love is yours. You are not the person that you were yesterday. You are not the person of your past. You are mine. And I forgive you and love you. Go and do likewise. And we struggle with this. I mean, this is going to be part of it. Because the other thing that I noticed in this conversation I was having with some people is, yeah, but how much do you participate in this? How much do you participate in going to find all the nitty-gritty, dirty, nasty details of somebody's past? And how much do you hold that against them, even when they say, I was wrong, I was young, I was naive, I was callow, I was ignorant, I made mistakes, it's not right, I don't believe that now? How many times do we still hold those things against others while we ourselves would never want God to hold them against us? And so we are not modeling, we are not practicing what Christ preaches, to go, to be freed, and do likewise. It's like that story where the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were always after Jesus, and so some of the elders and the Pharisees come to him and actually bring him a woman they caught in adultery. It's not, she's not the suspected adulteress. She is the adulteress. They catch her, and they bring her probably in some state of undress, and they throw her at his feet in front of the crowds, and they say, we caught her. The law says we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus kind of takes a moment and he starts drawing something in the sand and he says whichever one of you is without sin you pick up and you throw that first stone and it deflates their anger and it makes them look at themselves and go none of us are without sin none of us are perfect and you can almost hear the thud after thud after thud of the rocks falling from their hands not at her but at the ground because they can't stand righteous in that moment and when Jesus looks up again, they're all gone. And he says to her, is there no one here to condemn you? She says, no. He says, then I don't condemn you either. Knowing who she is and what she has done, he chooses grace. He says, go forth and sin no more. He sets her free. And this isn't somebody that was suspected. This isn't somebody that might have done this. This isn't somebody that we have tenuous accounts on. According to the text, this is somebody that was 100% guilty, and Jesus chose forgiveness. And he modeled it for those that were gathered there, and he models it for us today. And he says that we have to set the standard. And he continually did this, not only in his earthly ministry, but he does it now. He does it when we do things that are impulsive and impetuous. He does it when we are <laughs> conniving and conspiratorial in our sins. He does it when we are cruel, <coughs> hateful, and heartless. He does it when we are just mindless and apt to sin. He continually forgives us. And so we are being asked to do the same thing, to model that for other people. Because as you well know, anytime in your relationship with somebody, there's going to be places where those threads, those bonds start to become threadbare. They start to pull. They get that awkward kind of angle where they look like they could shred and rip. And you will have people with whom you will butt heads every single time you encounter. 
Now, the earthly side would say, these people are lost. You're never going to get through to them. You're never going to make any sense. You're never going to agree. You should just walk away. But God doesn't do that to us. How many of us throughout our lifetime, over and over again, God is speaking to us, calling us, trying to teach us something, and we have not listened. We have forsaken what God has asked, and we knew we were doing it. And yet here we sit today, forgiven, loved, and freed. Because God models for us a standard that is so high and holy that we have no choice but to be in awe and to do the same for others. It is not a little thing that we have received from our God, but something powerful and profound. That God loves us so much that God is willing to continually pour out grace upon us when God knows and we know we don't deserve it. But yet we hold other people to a different standard. We want mercy and grace for ourselves and we won't offer it to another. But Jesus also goes on to say that you should be careful. The standard that you set is the standard to which you shall be held. So if you say in your heart of hearts or with your lips or with your relationships that there are people that cannot be forgiven, you may find yourself as unforgivable. If you say there are things for which you cannot find forgiveness, for which there is no grace, then God will find things that you cannot be forgiven for. Because that is the standard that you have freely set. We have been created and made in the image of God Almighty. And we can get into all kinds of debates about what that actually means, but I can tell you that according to today's text, it means this. We have the power to set a standard. And we can hold ourselves to it, and we can hold other people to it. But if we choose to hold a high standard, not for perfection, but for love, for forgiveness and grace, then that is the standard that God will use for us. That your love is greater than your sin. That your attempts and your trying and your striving is greater than your failures. That instead of being one who is looking and, and taking count of everything that you do wrong, God intends to swathe you in unending, amazing grace. If that's the life you choose to lead, if you choose to offer others the same. The first reading that John read for us talks about setting a standard that is higher than what everybody else says. Yeah, say hi to the people that you know and love. Everybody does that. But saying hi and loving people that you don't love, well, that's hard. Putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and authentic with people that you don't know or that even worse you do know and you don't like. That's hard. And doing the first thing that somebody asks for you, fine. Ask for your coat and give them your coat. Ask for a mile and you give a mile. But what about going further? How could you show radical compassion, radical kindness, and radical grace? Because is that not what we want? Is that not what we pray for and yearn for? When we are still in silent and we are completely focused on our relationship with God and the ways in which we have not been perfect, don't we yearn to be assured that God's grace is enough for us? How can we deny another person that same assurance? Because they are looking to see, is this all talk? Can Christians truly love? Can I really be loved? And we answer that, in our conversations, in our attempts, in the way that we strive to be with people. And sometimes it's letting someone be who they are. This morning when we baptized Noah and Parker, they were great. They were fabulous. Not one cry, not one tear. 
absolutely fabulous little boys. And then we baptized the older sister, Savannah. That was the best part of my day, I got to tell you. First of all, she wore pink. She wanted to wear pink. She was like, I'm wearing pink. And I was like, okay. And as she came up here in her pink and she was all ready, she helped me pour the water. I didn't ask her to. She was just happy to help. Pour the water in the font, and we blessed it, and she was happy to do that, and she made sure that she tested the water temperature, and it was good. And then when it came time to pick her up and apply the water to her head, I had a shell for her, and I'm pouring the water on her head, and it's running down, and she starts to lick it. Because it's running in her face, let's be honest. And you know, she's like, oh, it's not bad. So then we put her down, and I give her the shell, and she does the most awesome thing I've ever seen. She starts licking the shell. <laughs> like both sides. Licking the shell. And I lose it. I'm just dying, because that's the best thing I've ever seen. You know, we think that tasting God's grace is a communion thing. We don't think about just how incredible this moment is for her. That at her young age, that she can taste God's grace and that she wants more. She wants more of what she tastes and feels and experiences. Now, I'm sure there are other denominations where they would have been like, no, little girl, that's not appropriate. Don't touch things. And what we really would have taught her was that who she is and what she is at this time in this place is not good enough. Instead, by embracing Savannah and all of her vivaciousness, we got to really, for a moment, bask in the joy of this moment. This sacrament is God's grace in tangible form. And she reveled in it. I wish I had been that cognizant when they baptized me at six months. I wish I could have been like, yes, in fact, knowing that one day I'll be clergy, I will help you pour this into this font. And I will hold you accountable by testing the temperature of the water to make sure that it's not too cold and not too hot. I didn't do any of that. Because really, the reality of Christianity is this, that we can look at people and love what we see, or we can spend our time picking them apart. My, my last church, I served for eight years, and a huge part of my ministry as the associate pastor was to homebound members. These were our most vintage members who could no longer drive, and they could not get to church of their own volition. And so they, most of them were sequestered actually within their homes and sometimes within rooms in their homes. And so every month I would go and visit all of them and I would see them. And there was one woman who hadn't been homebound my entire time that I was there. She used to come and Jean was a very special person. Jean would come and sit on the aisle, on the lectern side, almost in the back, and Jean was armed with a cane. And Jean would use it. If Jean came in, and God forbid, you sat in her seat, Jean would clock you with the cane. There were many a times that I was like, no, Jean, no. And as Jean got older and her faculties started to transition, it became dangerous. It wasn't just like a tap at the ankle anymore. It was like a whack, overhanded whack. And eventually, Jean could no longer leave her house. And there were plenty of people that were grateful that she couldn't come to worship. There were plenty of people that said, you know, she was getting dangerous. She was getting cantankerous. Yeah, but you know what? Unlike a lot of people, Jean wanted to be here. Jean wanted to be here with you. And Jean came. And the time came and Jean died. And because she was under my homebound ministry, I officiated her funeral. And she didn't have a lot of friends, and she didn't have a lot of family left, and it was a small graveside, and there were a few people in the church that came out, mostly because I think they wanted to see me pull off a funeral for people, for somebody that nobody liked. Because what do you say when you know that there's somebody that nobody really likes? 
And I thought a lot of time about that. And, and as we got there, you know what I thought to myself? I'm going to miss Jean. Because here's the side of Jean that most people didn't see. That when I went to go see Jean at her home, Jean would tell every single person in her housing complex who I was. This is my pastor. She took my arm. She wouldn't let go of my arm. This is my pastor. I love her. And she loves me. And she was ferociously loyal. She was so loyal. She would forgive you anything. If I had forgotten to bring something to her or if I had ended up late because of something, Jean would forgive me. I'm just glad you're here now, she would say. I'm just glad you're here now. And I talked about, you know, Jean, she was vivacious. She was feisty. Some people might even use the word salty. But Jean was loyal. And she revealed the kind of loyalty that I want in my God. I want a God that is as loyal to me as Jean was. I want a God that loves me when I mess up and is willing to forgive me just like Jean was. And at the end when we laid her to rest, I remember one of my church members came up and said, you know what, I was waiting to see how you were going to do this. Because I don't think I could come up with one nice thing to say about Jean. And he said, you know what though, it's clear to me that I didn't know her. I didn't know Jean. I saw her, she hit me with her cane one time, and I wrote her off. But because of my testimony, he left that day with a different understanding of Jean. And that's good, because I told him, I said, I'm glad that you're starting to appreciate Jean, because you're going to spend an awful lot of time with her in the kingdom to come. You might want to think about that. Because who gets in is not up to us. And we serve a God who loves more people than we do. We serve a God who forgives people things that we don't want to forgive. We might want to try modeling what we're going to experience, what we want for ourselves. Because there is going to come a day when we enter into a holy, heavenly kingdom. And when we enter in there and all sin is gone, we're going to spend an eternity celebrating God and our salvation with people that we don't want to hang out with on Sunday morning right now. But the difference is that just as we look at other people and go, I can't stand him, I can't even like her, they might be looking back and saying the same thing, and God's looking at all of us going, I love all of you. Just sit down and be quiet. Try showing my love instead of your contempt, your hate, your stress, your sorrow. Show my love and my grace. Because I hope that when we gather in the kingdom to come and we're hearing some of the all-time greatest stories about baptism, I hope we have a moment to talk about Savannah. Because I don't know that I'm going to top that. That was pretty amazing. That's something that stays with you. Because it reminds me in that moment, this little girl feels like she is at home. And what greater theology is that? That a little girl knows that this is her home. There are people who are 40 times older than her that don't think they belong here. They're wrong. But they won't know that they're wrong and discover their rightful place unless we set a standard of radical hospitality for them. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org.
to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.